0: Morning church. My name is Eric Fung and it is a privilege to serve as your Princeton Theological Seminary intern here at San Marino Community Church. I have to say that during my 6 years in Princeton, I've come to love all of it. I love walking to Nassau Street with my roommates to buy exorbitantly priced textbooks. I love watching the leaves change color to match my obsessively orange wardrobe. And I absolutely love when spring rolls around and my shorts are allowed to come out of hibernation. But this year as Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey announced stay-at-home orders, I felt that I had lost something important. Instead of enjoying my classmates' company in the dining hall, I was alone in my apartment. I found myself worrying about my sister and my brother-in-law who's an anesthesiologist at New York City's Mount Sinai Hospital. I found myself longing for my parents, for my home, for San Marino. My feelings of hopelessness likely understate what many in our society feel today. We already deal with hyper-competitiveness on a daily basis. But when you add a a novel coronavirus pandemic, economic downturn, and racial violence and injustice, well, things couldn't feel more hopeless. When I was still in New Jersey, I longed for San Marino because it reminded me of a calmer time. I knew that I could always rely on my parents. And so it really is an understatement that I am truly grateful to be back at home now, sleeping in my bed from my Flintridge prep days, hearing my father's pep talks, and eating my mother's comfort home cooking. Now, as comforting as it was to reminisce about my childhood and my adolescence, I knew that I could find even more reassurance in God. It is precisely when we feel distracted and hopeless that we must turn to God, his church and his word. Last week in the contemporary service, I focused on our corporate identity in Christ. This week, I will elaborate on the content of our individual responsibility to know how to act and respond, even in the face of distraction and hopelessness. In the face of such adversity, we long for a capable leader who can lead us in rebuilding what we have lost. Nehemiah is such an exemplar who responds faithfully, even in the face of distractions and hopelessness. Nehemiah stays up on the wall that he has helped build, and he keeps building. And it is to the book that bears his name that we now turn. Today's scripture reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 6, Verses 1 through 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat and Toviah and to Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. Sanbalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? They sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Church, will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. we find our hero, Nehemiah, continuing his work, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Having finished the actual walls, he and his team have begun work on the gates, the doors. But Nehemiah doesn't make it this far without his fair share of distractions and even hopelessness. During the Babylonian captivity of Israel, Nehemiah served as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, the cupbearer was like the beef eater in England. The cupbearer tasted the wine to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. And so the king really had to trust his cupbearer. So Nehemiah had this kind of trust relationship with the king. At this time, the city of Jerusalem had laid in ruins since its destruction at the hands of the Babylonians, roughly 60 years earlier. And even though Cyrus, the Persian king at the time, allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the city, Jerusalem had yet to return to its former glory. The book of Nehemiah begins with Nehemiah weeping, mourning, fasting, and praying because the walls and gates of Jerusalem remained destroyed. The Jews of the remnant who escaped Babylonian captivity have shared their horror stories with him and he feels so overwhelmed, so hopeless. But by a stroke of grace, King Artaxerxes sees Nehemiah's sadness and allows him to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. At once, Nehemiah gives up his respected and comfortable position in the king's palace to return to Jerusalem to rebuild. Despite his sadness and his hopelessness, Nehemiah defies the odds and rebuilds those walls within 52 days. And so we pick up in chapter 6, Sanballat, the Horonite, Toviah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. These are the main adversaries. Now they have heard that Nehemiah has finished reconstructing the walls of Jerusalem, but still needs to install the doors. And so they decide once again to conspire against him. Twice before, Nehemiah's adversaries have hoped to deter him by mocking him. And when mockery fails, they threaten military force. In this fourth attempt, Sanballat, Toviah, and Geshem attempt to lure him to meet them in Kepharim, in the plain of Ono. That's 40 miles northwest of Jerusalem and outside of Nehemiah's jurisdiction. Now notice the language here. Nehemiah, come down. Jerusalem lays, lies at the top of a hill. And so one always goes up to Jerusalem and comes down from Jerusalem. But his enemies also want him to come down from the walls that he is building. They want him to come down from his building project. They want him to come down from Jerusalem. And they want him to come down into a foreign land. Spoiler alert, it doesn't work. He knows that they want to harm him, and so he sends a messenger to tell them, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. His enemies will try three more increasingly nefarious tactics in order to impede Nehemiah's progress before the chapter is over. But try as his enemies might, Nehemiah does not budge from that wall. Now, I want to highlight briefly two of Nehemiah's traits that we see in this scene. First, we see Nehemiah's determination. Remember that Nehemiah starts out as a cupbearer. He turns down a very comfortable position in the palace to toil in the scorching hot sun and rebuild a politically insignificant town in a politically insignificant province. We see his determination to weather his enemies' ploys. And now four times, four times, his enemies tell him to come down to the plain of Ono. And four times, he responds, no, I cannot come down. I refuse to allow you to distract me from the task that God has set before me. Nehemiah and his workers will finish the walls in 52 days. In order to build that expeditiously, they can have no distractions, no setbacks. In the same way that Nehemiah resolutely continues building without capitulating to external pressures, we too must persevere in the face of hardship. Second, closely linked to determination is restraint in the face of temptation. Now, the text does not provide any clear indication of what his enemies want to do with Nehemiah. All we know is that Nehemiah records in his diary, they were planning to harm me. Some of us may wonder if Nehemiah actually has any incriminating intel regarding his adversaries. Sure, Sanballat, Tovia, and Geshem have a shaky track record, but maybe this time they're truly seeking peace. Even in that ostensibly best-case scenario, Nehemiah cannot shirk his responsibilities in mere hopes of attaining peace. God has called Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah chooses to stay up on those walls. Despite the distractions, we too must never choose the good thing over the God thing. We must never choose what society deems as good over what God has shown us To be good. Still, even though we have God's revelation through Scripture, we do not always know what the God thing is. We do not always stay up on the walls. In all likelihood, many of us will not struggle with the easy questions. We know not to steal, not to lie, not to murder. But every day, society tempts us to come down from the walls when we need to be completing the construction project before us. And we probably come down from that wall more often than we would like to admit. Perhaps the reason we fail so easily in the face of temptation is that we want to spend our energy building the kingdoms that we have fabricated in our own hearts in our own minds, we forget God and church and set off to forge our own paths. This is the message we hear in the media all the time. For example, in the now six-year-old film, The Lego Movie, everybody believes Emmett, the main character, to be the special He is the special Lego piece who will save all of them and their world. But after his adventure, what does he conclude? He concludes about everybody. You are the most talented, most interesting, most extraordinary person in the universe. You are capable of amazing things. End quote we hear the same type of self-congratulatory language at award ceremonies where the award winner always stands up and says if you work hard enough you will succeed never give up on your dreams translation if you work hard you can be famous just like me this message is so wrong because it is so incomplete Humans certainly are capable of amazing things, and indeed some of us will become or have become famous. But how many of us actually do amazing things without God's help? If Nehemiah wanted to do what society thought was worthwhile, he would have stayed in the comforts of the palace. But society doesn't define good works. Society doesn't even define great works. God does. We all should want to be in the place where God wants us. We should not let society distract us from the task at hand. God may be calling some of us to leave the hospital to become a medical missionary. God may be calling some of us to work fewer hours so we can spend more time with our family. God may be calling some of us to open our houses our homes to provide shelter for refugees or a place for the high school youth group to meet. With God, there are no limits. We must always listen for that still, small voice that beckons, follow me. Do we have what it takes? Do we have the determination of Nehemiah in the midst of trials and tribulations? Yes, we do. And his name is Jesus Christ. Nehemiah had a kingdom dream, but even more importantly, Christ has an even bigger kingdom dream. Whereas Nehemiah never truly experienced the fulfillment of his kingdom dream Christ died for the sins of the world and fulfilled all of the kingdom dreams that came before him and all of the kingdom dreams that have come since after him. We as Christians, therefore, are invited not only into the dream of the kingdom, but also into the reality of building for the kingdom of God. Now, the author of Hebrews mentions the examples of Old Testament faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It was by their great faith that the Old Testament giants gained approval. But even then, we read in verse 39, and we see their faith was not enough to receive God's ultimate promise. But Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We place our faith in him. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, we have the freedom to follow in the footsteps of the faithful and boldly build for and enjoy the kingdom of God. Now, the coming kingdom of God will include God's children from all nations and all tongues, But when it comes to the current social unrest surrounding the recent high profile cases of racial violence, we Christians may feel so lost, so distracted, so hopeless. We cannot seem to find God's voice in the midst of this. What is the God thing to do? Yes, there indeed is great work right now to combat racism, both individual and corporate, and to hold the offending parties accountable. But as Christians, we need to remind ourselves of the reason why we find racism so reprehensible. Racism is sin. And sin separates us from God and from each other. For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Thankfully, because of Jesus Christ's righteousness, God reunites us to himself and to each other. We must act in full recognition of this truth. If we do not act for and because of Christ, we lose what and who defines us. Because of our own sins, we do not deserve to fight racism, classism, sexism, all of these other sins that we commit. But because of grace, God allows us to build for his coming kingdom. God allows us to participate in the mission to reconcile all of his children to himself and to each other, regardless of race, tribe, or clan. I wonder what sights Nehemiah would have seen up on the walls of Jerusalem as he and the Jews were rebuilding the holy city. I wonder what landscapes, flora and fauna he would have beheld during his brief breaks from building. And yet, whatever Nehemiah saw pales, pales in comparison to what we see in Christ Jesus. In fact, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in order to separate the Jews from everybody else, adversaries of all ethnic backgrounds. But now, in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, God invites all, male, female, Jew, Greek, free bondservant, all to pick up a hammer and start building for his kingdom. For us, we must never, never come down from building for his kingdom. Even if we are tempted, we cannot come down. And in this particular moment in time, we must focus on the pain and the suffering that racism has caused For some of us, staying up on the wall means continuing to have difficult and honest conversations with our black sisters and brothers and seeking ways to reconcile in Jesus Christ. It means mourning with those who mourn, weeping with those who weep. For some of us, staying up on the wall means continuing to protest against racism. As attrition sets in, we cannot settle for virtue signaling and hashtag activism. We cannot simply compose one Facebook post and return to our jobs and schoolwork without deep self-reflection. And perhaps some of us have not made it up onto that wall yet. That's okay. I imagine Nehemiah helped many workers up onto the wall. Building for the kingdom is not a one-man job. For some of us, coming onto these walls means educating ourselves and and reading books about the history of racism in the church. For others, still coming up onto the wall means putting ourselves in the shoes of our black sisters and brothers. I've seen numerous opportunities for virtual conferences hosted by black Christian leaders. It may be time for some of us to sit in on these conferences with the sole purpose of listening and learning and seeking to show that we want to be present in our siblings' lives. And when we come up onto that wall, we will see glimpses of God's coming kingdom. Many of our siblings may have been up on that wall building for much longer than we have but it's not too late for us to make our way up there too in order to support the afflicted, to provide refreshment for the weary and to continue building alongside them and building for the kingdom. We as Christians are called to leave what we consider to be comfortable to help build for the kingdom of God. Even when society tries to distract us or deplete our hope, We push forward and build. And once we begin to build, there is no turning back. Nehemiah had faith to work toward his kingdom dream. And he didn't even get to taste even a fraction of the joys of his reward. But in Christ, we can build for the kingdom and enjoy it. Because Jesus, through accomplishing his kingdom dream on the cross, has brought us back into communion with the Father and with each other. By grace and empowered by the Spirit, we are building and rebuilding and asking others to join us. So don't come down from the walls.